Um, I'm not Gary Nock. Um, my name's Wes. I'm one of the elders here, and Gary's on vacation. He and Don are heading to the far-off north area of our country uh, called Alaska, and they'll be gone for a bit. Um, this morning, you are going to hear a lot of Gary. You're going to hear a lot of Paul. You're going to hear a lot of a guy named Ron and a lot of other people that have poured into my life. And I would just tell you this, that all the really good parts will be from Gary and the others, and any mistakes made will also be from Gary and the others. But that's, you know, I don't want to take too much responsibility here. Uh, but we are a church, Grace Point is a church, that uh, we believe what the Bible teaches very seriously, that it's called the plurality of leadership, meaning our church is not based on any one human being, that we base our church on the Bible, and that uh, churches that, and for that matter, governments, organizations, businesses that place too much faith in one person, they usually don't pass the longevity test. And uh, places that organizations that put their faith in something that doesn't change, the Word of God, a constitution, those kind of things, they do tend to last a little longer than other things. So, uh, like I've said before, Gary might not be physically here, but Gary's spirit, Gary's teachings, what Gary has learned and poured into all of us elders is definitely present with us this morning. Um, I was asked, actually, uh, this week, uh, why are we not going through 1 Timothy before we started talking about 2 Timothy? And the answer is because. I, I, I'm up here, you're not, I get to pick. Anyways, um, it's not a prerequisite. You don't have to go through First Timothy, although it's a great book also. Um, I've done a lot of teaching in First Timothy in the last six months or so, so I was kind of looking for something uh, a little more, I guess a challenge, if you will. I don't know. The concept of preaching how suffering is great, um, that's, a nice, that's an interesting challenge to go through a book that talks a lot about suffering. And uh, it seems timely, at least in my life, and, um, you know, I'm going to share that with you. Although, I'd say, read First Timothy. Absolutely. Great book, good fun, very applicable. Uh, last week, we introduced the concept of uh, what we're going through in this book, and this will be the, the main verse we're going to go through today, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But last week, we introduced the idea that this is a book about passing things on that uh, this is a book of passing on wisdom, passing on uh, suffering, passing on leadership from an old man, Paul, to a younger man, Timothy. And that handoffs, transitions, passing things on is a very Christian concept, and it's a very important concept. We watched a video last week about uh, passing on a baton in track and field and how that's a really difficult thing to do. And we had a great video of people not doing it well, which is always funny. Um, and in churches, we need to be just as diligent about passing on from one generation to the next and making sure the next generation is successful. It's been said that a, a good leader, their first task in leadership is training their replacement and making sure they're ready to go. Uh, just to review last week very quickly that this was a writ, letter written in about 66 or 67 AD. It was probably, as scholars, they, the convergence is that this was the last letter that Paul wrote. Paul was definitely an aged man writing to a younger man. And uh, he was written, he wrote this from prison, like not house arrest, but prison, prison, chains. Uh, he was, uh, had a lot of rough circumstances and he's very concerned about the next generation. And so those handoffs uh, are very critical. On the back of your notes, I got a, a nice reference of kind of a, a whole history of the Apostle Paul. Uh, kind of his things, you can look at that. There's all the references to kind of keep you busy 
if you need that sort of thing uh, or want that sort of thing. It's very useful. There's a little map, which is probably way too small for me to see, but uh, there's the reference you can look up where the map comes from and uh, study Paul's journeys. Paul got around the known world, it could be said. Uh, The plan of attack, last week we introduced this thing. Uh, This is what we're going to do until mid-September. Last week was part one, passing it on, kind of introducing the book to you. And then we're going to kind of, I split this up thematically. Uh, Remember when Paul wrote this letter, it was written in Greek, first century Greek. And Paul didn't put verse numbers or paragraph breaks or chapter numbers or anything. It was just a letter. Uh, We've kind of added those things down the road to make it simple to read and talk about. I broke it up in terms of thematics. It's a little bit artificial. Just recognize that how I broke it up is to kind of talk about it in chunks that are easy for me to get my head around. Today, we're going to talk about Paul passing on suffering, kind of look at the beginning and end of the book. Uh, Next week, we'll talk about passing on wisdom, then passing on ethics, then passing on fulfillment, and then we'll wrap it all up with some of the best lines in the Bible with passing it on and talk about it. So that's kind of the structure where we're going. Uh, Remember, the Bible was written for you, wasn't written to you. This is written in first century Greek by an old, very, very Jewish man giving this letter to a younger man who's half Greek and kind of the next generation of Christians. And the theme, the central question, what we want to answer for just today is what's important to Paul? And the answer to that is, It's the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's our central question. That's what we want to answer today. And kind of the context or the lens we want to look through is this idea that the privilege of suffering, passing on the privilege of suffering. And uh, it's a tough one. They don't write worship songs about suffering. They don't have catchy phrases you can throw on social media about how great it is to suffer, and yet it's central to our Christian life. Key verse is the one that we had up there a little earlier. It's uh, verse 1, 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. If you were here last week, we talked about the themes of the book. Every one of those themes is present right there in that one verse. Paul really lays it out very clearly. Um, Pete and I were talking before the service about how precise Paul is as a writer Uh, even though he wrote in Greek and we're separated by time and culture, uh, you can learn just how to write well, secularly, if you will, um, by studying Paul. He begins and ends the book at the same place, kind of some personal things. And we always kind of, here's your behind-the-scenes moment for a sermon. You talk about what the Bible says, you talk about what the passage means, and then you kind of do the, okay, what do we do about that? Or what I call the so what question. So here's what it says in this idea of passing things on, is that there's really three parts to what's in this passage. A little bit at the beginning of the chapter, a little bit at the end of the chapter, but it's three topics. There's some personal things, there's some encouragement for Timothy, and then there's just some details that are kind of interesting to talk about. If you're following along either on your notes or in your Bible, uh, it starts off, we'll start off talking about the personal details with Paul. Verses 1 through 7. Paul identifies himself, that's convenient for scholars looking at this years and years later, and he identifies the recipient and who they are. I'm Paul, this is going to Timothy, talks about the relationship he has with Timothy, talks about Timothy's family. Uh, Lois and Eunice are called out. How would you like to be called out in the Bible by Paul? 
for having, you know, a woman of great faith and that you taught your son and your grandson very well. Um, I was called by one of our congregants this week who's been reading ahead, which is great. It's always nice that people read ahead in the Bible. And they wanted to point out and remind me that the word grandmother only appears one time in the Bible. There's lots of grandmothers in the Bible, but only grandmother Eunice here called out. And that this person happened to be a grandmother herself took a little pride in this, I think. There was just a hint of, oh, this is this nice. Now, I won't name names, but her initials are Molly Culp. And she thought that was really nice that they mentioned that this grandmother, and I was supposed to, I, she thought I should, I think I was supposed to mention that out loud tonight. This is why you shouldn't have a son-in-law that preaches, because they will take advantage of you occasionally. Um, the other details that are mentioned in there, in the personal section, can I look at verses 15 through 18, in that Paul's personal situation, his circumstances, are not good. Uh, Paul is kind of lonely, talks about missing Timothy in verses 9 and 10. He's alone, he's in chains. And yet, Paul's attitude is very thankful. He's consistently praising God. Uh, He always contrasts, my circumstances stink, and yet God is good. God is good? All the time, nice. And all the time? Yeah, we need to practice that, folks. We get called up to varsity. I think we're going to be doing that a lot more. So yeah, keep that in mind. Um, Paul's attitude is really wonderful to kind of look at. Secondly, uh, Paul's got this message of encouragement. Uh, in verses 7 through 12, he talks a lot about God working within us, the Holy Spirit empowering us, giving us God's righteousness, and that is effective. At the end of the chapter, because you know, symmetry is wonderful, he talks about that God is with us. Constantly. Paul's circumstances are bad, but God is still good. Paul's circumstances are horrible, but God is still with him. No matter what, Paul's got his eyes fixed on what comes next. There's a life to come, and it's okay what's going on now. He, I think, has, he understands his purpose in suffering, and that it's part of his calling. In fact, he calls it a holy calling. You could do an entire sermon series on the concept of your calling and what that means with your life now. This is an aside, but, I mean, when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're saved. You're justified, right? Why aren't you glorified immediately? I mean, logically. Okay, I'm saved. Why am I not taken up to heaven right away? Rapture immediately. Well, there's something going on here. There's this sanctification process about the maturing process. And while there might be parts of us that need to be worked on, clearly as we just sang, as we've talked about, as Dave even mentioned this morning, there's this communal aspect that the Christian life is not isolated. You are together. We're to be around one another. And that's part of, I think, the answer. I mean, I'll get that clarified someday. But right, I think part of the reason we're not raptured out right away is that we're here to be around each other. We have a a holy calling to be with one another, to teach, to reach, to, to suffer alongside, to comfort to do things with each other. And it's always about each other in the church. Finally, Paul ends with some details, uh, both the beginning and the end. He mentions some people in 15 and 16. Again, uh, how cool would it be to be mentioned in a positive way by Paul? But what if Paul mentions you in a negative way? The whole Bible. I mean, can you imagine these guys that got called out for being jerks? Wow. 
that's very convicting. And then you think, well, I'm glad I didn't get called out by in the Bible. I, I must have dodged that one. But then you think, nah, everything we do is being, it's remembered. We're, we're held accountable for all that we do. So, yeah, that's kind of convicting. Um, Paul also, kind of, there's kind of an older man aspect of this. He gives Timothy some, th- hey, watch out for these people. These people are not trustworthy. And then he also kind of, you know, hey, I'm cold. I need a coat and some books. Could you bring some books? And there's this, it very much feels like this, an older guy, my dad's kind of like this, that, you know, he keeps the, the heat on in his apartment about 92 degrees in the summer. And uh, it's warm. Old men need their, I mean, this, it's a very human thing to hear these details. It, it very much makes Paul a real person to me rather than just a, an icon of the Bible. Um, so that's what it says. It says there's some personal, there's some details, there's some encouragement. What does it mean? And to look at this, uh, the way I like to do this, because we, we don't have time to go verse to verse, I want to pick one verse that's kind of key and break it down a little bit. At least take a look at some of the important words. So if we look at the, our key verse that really summarizes this section, uh, this don't be ashamed of the testimony, join with me in suffering, gospel. I want to look at three, that's kind of hard to see, isn't it? No, that's not bad. We're going to look at three terms. Do not be ashamed, that phrase. We're going to look at the word testimony, and then we're going to talk about this join with me in suffering and kind of see what the... If we define those terms very carefully, what do we get to? And does that tell us anything about what it really means? Uh, Again, context, passing on the privilege of suffering, passing on. So first word, the the way this is written by Paul, not therefore you should be ashamed. That doesn't roll off our tongues as well in English, but that's how Paul wrote it that way. And the operative term there, the important term is that ashamed. And if you look at the, the grammar, well, start with the definition of the word ashamed. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's not a real tricky one to look at the Greek definition of the word shame, but it's um, painful feeling of loss or loss of status. It's kind of like being demoted. It's to be ashamed. Uh, it combines the ideas of fear with shame, with cowardice. That's a little different. That, that comes up when they say ashamed. It talks about you have, of somehow you're not being brave or somehow you're scared of something leads to this idea of being ashamed. The word is used 11 times in the New Testament, and it's almost always in terms of morality, your morals, to be morally ashamed. Um, and that's pretty interesting. At least that really, that struck me especially when you think of it, and it says, therefore, at the start of this sentence. And what came before is all the wonderful glories of God. In light of how the infinite love of Jesus Christ for you and God and all the blessings you've received, don't be ashamed. Don't have fear. Don't have cowardice. Don't be afraid. And you might think reading this that this is Paul criticizing Timothy, or Paul is somehow saying, Timothy is screwed up. That's not the grammar, and I, I, I hate to mention grammar because it makes me bored, but it's really instructive in this to understand the grammar. And what it means is it's not saying, Paul's not saying Timothy was ashamed or you did something ashamed. It's about the future. Timothy hasn't done anything wrong, according to the grammar. It's a warning from Paul saying, Timothy, don't do something in the future that you're going to be ashamed about. Avoid something you haven't yet done. Uh, it's a command that you're supposed to do it right now. It's an imperative. It's a, you don't hesitate, do it and keep doing it. 
for you grammar nerds, and I know there's one of you, aorist subjunctive subjunctive with a negative. I memorized that. I kind of know what that means. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm not completely out to lunch on that. But that, that's, it's interesting when it gives you a little insight by the grammar that it's not talking about uh, something Timothy's done wrong. It's about do things right. Uh, Johann Bengel, who was a 17th century German Lutheran, he put it this way. Shame is the companion of fear. If fear is overcome, disgraceful shame flees away. So part of our thing to not be ashamed is to be braver, to not give in to fear. That's pretty good. Second word is testimony. And testimony is a pretty familiar word to us. We use it a lot. Uh, it's a, mostly a legal word. It shows up in the Bible or in the New Testament 19 times. It's a noun, meaning it's a thing. And in this case, uh, we talk about giving our testimony the act of speaking. In this case, it's the thing that you're speaking about. The, if in a trial, the evidence. You give testimony in a trial, it's the actual evidence. It's uh, something that's objectively true, that's not questioned, that any, everybody would agree that that's true. Uh, the Greek word that's used here is the same root word, martyr, maturion. Now, that raises the stakes for me. We talk about don't be ashamed of your testimony, and the word testimony is related to the word martyr, meaning to be killed for your faith. Okay, well, that's a rare word. It's kind of a compound word, and the other thing that makes this interesting is the word is a plural. It's not something you, your, your testimony is in light of with others. Um, no, excuse me. Back that up. I jumped ahead. Um, testimony of the Lord. This is why you have notes, if you're me. Uh, if you want to see more on testimony of the Lord, go to Psalm 119. It talks about 23 times the testimony of the Lord. Serious evidence. Very important term not to be overlooked. Let's go to the plural thing now, which I jumped ahead on. Suffering together. Look at that. It's even right there. Together. Uh, this one's suffering. It's... Uh, Pain, affliction, calamity. Calamity is when we're talking about suffering. The definition of suffering is something serious. Another way to put it is to take evil treatment with another person. Somebody's getting whipped by something evil, unjust, you join in with them. You get whipped too. You suffer with somebody. And again, it's, it's a command. It's do this now, urgently. Don't give up on it. Start doing it immediately. Um, and suffering is part of the Christian life. And in America, none of you, of course, because you're all beautiful, wonderful people, but we have this thing of where we get criticized, somehow that's suffering. I say something like a jerk and somebody corrects me, oh, I'm suffering for Christ. Look at that, because I told somebody they were wrong. Or Starbucks changed the color of cups at Christmas time. <laughs> suffering for Christ here now. This is a calamity. It's something serious that's happened to you. We'll come back to that idea. But it's part of being a Christian is to suffer, that you do it together, that you're, you do this alongside one another. And it's not an easy thing to do. And it's not something, again, that you really think about, but it's a companionship idea. Great example of this is a 
another German Lutheran for whatever reason. It's German Lutheran Day, for examples, at Grace Point. Um, I don't know if you know who this is. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a tremendous hero of the faith. He um, died in 1945. He was a a Lutheran pastor. He would be uh, one of the best writers I've ever read. He was an anti-fascist. He was against Hitler, lived in Germany, and he was executed just days before the Nazi regime came to its final conclusion. Almost made it through. He was writing about suffering, and this is what he said from a man who lived it. Suffering, then, is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Following Christ means suffering because we have to suffer. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering of Christ and is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. We should be called upon to suffer. We should not be surprised when it happens. Suffer for what? For the gospel. For the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. There's a personal aspect of this letter. Timothy, I want you to come be with me, to suffer with me. I know this is suffering. But there's also, this is what it means to be a Christian, to suffer alongside one another. Our central question, what's important to Paul? He lays it out at the beginning and the end of this letter to Timothy. It's about the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's the important part. Don't be ashamed of it, even though your testimony is going to hurt. It's going to have trouble suffering. You're going to go through things. This idea of passing it on, Paul is passing on advice. He's passing on the reality of life. He's passing on the mantle of leadership. And he's passing on to Timothy the privilege of suffering. Now, that's a tough one to end on. You don't go from this to a... Again, we don't have a worship song that deals with this directly. It's not something a lot of Christians we think about. I certainly haven't. Uh, and that's part of what I wanted to, to preach through this a little bit. This is a little bit new territory for me to really focus on suffering. And so it's what it says, what it means. What do we do with that? And I call it the so what question. I've read this. It's important to us. It was written for my use as a Christian. So what? What do I do? Uh, some people call it application. Uh, I would never, we try not to do that at Grace Point because that's between you and Jesus Christ how you apply the the truth of this. But I wanted to share with you some of the questions I'm asking and some of the thoughts I've had that are really influencing what you're going to hear in the next couple weeks about this. And there's really three parts to it for me. There's kind of an inward focus, an outward focus, and then kind of how do my actions that are different because of it. Um, First off, kind of the inward thing. And I would tell you that I like to ask, and I'm a human, I, I feel like I'm suffering sometimes, Right? Usually when I think and say to myself, oh, I'm really suffering, it's something stupid. It's completely lame. It's like when I blew my knee apart last winter. I was suffering. It hurt. It hurt really bad. I couldn't walk. I couldn't ski. That was terrible. I was suffering. Okay. That's not really what this is talking about. We're talking about in the ethical, moral, spiritual sense, suffering, it's empathetic suffering. It's being together. It's hurting because of your testimony, not physically. What I have discovered in looking back in my life, there have been times I've suffered, and I only saw it as suffering 
retroactively in my life. That I could look back and say, wow, that was a tough time. I was living with Jesus hard then, but at the time I wasn't aware of it. When I am aware of it, it's almost by definition stupid. I'm just feeling sorry for myself. Oh, I got a cold. Somebody was mean to be in a letter to the editor. Whatever. That's not suffering, okay? And again, if you say something stupid on social media and you get a backlash for it, that's not suffering for Jesus either. That's you not being careful with your words, okay? So looking at that yourself and reflecting, I don't think you go looking for suffering on the inward side. It'll happen. It'll not happen. I think you'll be okay. If I feel like I'm suffering, it's like, that's a gut check. I need to knock it off. Buck up. Outward focus is the second thing I've learned, and that is more the proactive way to act as a Christian man, am I looking to help and be present with somebody who else is suffering? Now, that's a calling that we all have, to be with our friends, our family, our unbelievers, anybody that is suffering. Can we be present with them? If you have aging parents, it's a great example of just being present with your aging parent, helping where you can, where stupid stuff or great, important stuff, to be present with them is to be suffering alongside them. If you have a friend who or some family has got injuries or has lost something horrible, you think about the people we know just in this church that this last year we've had some pretty rough things happen. Deaths, illnesses, did we get around them immediately to suffer alongside them? And it doesn't mean you go and counsel them or comfort them or say the magic words. It's just to be there is to suffer alongside. They know that. If you've been there, somebody's been with you, they didn't have to say a word. It's just the presence, to suffer alongside. And looking for those opportunities, I think is important in American life because we've become, or we can become, very isolated nowadays. I can stay on social media and use the internet to have connection without physically connecting with someone. I can watch news media that only caters to my point of view, so I never have to be challenged. I can stay at home. I can have things delivered to me. I don't need to go to the ball game. I can use television. We have a number of ways to isolate ourselves from the world, and we're not called to be that way. This church is not a fortress. This church, I think I used the term coffee pot or whatever. We're supposed to go out and influence the world. We're supposed to be so connected with the world that we're changing others because they see Jesus Christ in us, in our actions. And so am I connected or am I isolated? And I, I go through that. And one of the things I do is I look at my social circle. Who am I hanging around with? Am I hanging around with a bunch of Christians? Lovely people you are. Beautiful, thoughtful, smart. But that's good for encouragement. But am I sharing the gospel by bumping up against my friends that aren't Christians? Am I out with the unlovable people? Am I out with the untouchable people? Am I out with the, the people that we might be ashamed to be next to? That's a good gut check for me. The third one that I kind of really came away from this, this passage with, it kind of combines it all together, and that's the idea of being able to speak. Now, last week I asked on... Uh, social media, people to pray for me. Anytime I got a big thing going, I like people to be in my corner praying. Call on people to pray. Sometimes I tell them what it is, sometimes I don't. And, uh, last week I say, hey, I'm starting a sermon series, please, please pray for me. And a lot of you did. And you're all very, very encouraging. 
but I think you thought I said I was nervous about speaking. And so you're like, oh, you do a great job. You'll be good. You know, have confidence. I don't need confidence. God gave me that in bushels. Okay? I, what I need is to make sure I don't say the wrong thing or come across in the wrong way. I have no trouble stepping up. I mean, I'm an interventionist. There's garbage on the ground. You pick it up. There's a problem. I'll solve it for you, even if you don't want me to. Okay? That's kind of what I do. I got a job that, uh, that makes, you know, it's great. <clears throat> but I don't want to be ashamed of what I did if I spoke harshly, if I spoke quickly, if I spoke without thinking, if I spoke in a condescending manner, or literally, Lord forbid, in an inaccurate to Jesus Christ manner. Jesus Christ was a gentle, firm, loving, patient man. He wasn't judgmental in the sense of that we would understand it relationship-wise. He called people but he did it in a way that was winsome. He did it in a way that was loving. And uh, you combine the isolation thing with the ability to be judgmental, and that feeds our sin. Uh, it'd be easy for me to get up here, tickle your ears, make you feel good about yourself, or point our finger at the people not like us. That's not Christian, and that scares me to death when I'm up here. So if you pray for me, pray for me to, you know, represent Jesus well. That you don't have to worry about me being scared to come up here. That's fun. We're called to preach. You're called to preach. I'm called to preach. Preach the word, which we'll get into in a later week, but to do it in a way that's pleasant, respectful, in a way that's gentle and calls people forward. And dare I say, we're called to do it in a sacrificial manner. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, okay, he preached the word in possibly the circumstances I have studied, watched video on, seen, talked to survivors. I can't imagine what it would be, really can't imagine what it would have been like to go through the camps. Can't imagine. And yet, through that, probably the worst horror we can imagine, certainly in the last 200 years, he kept the faith. He fought the good fight in the right way. He suffered. For unbelievers, he suffered for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's a great example for us this morning. Want to read something else? Go study up on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Even if you just read his Wikipedia page, I think you'd be impressed. Good example for suffering for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you this morning that we can have this time to be with you, to be with your word, that we can understand your word and our language, that we can have this nice building to meet in. Father, we thank you for the blessing of these things. We thank you for your grace. That, Father, we constantly try to follow you and we constantly stumble. And yet, out of your grace, out of your incredible mercy, you catch us every time. Father, you are so worthy of our praise. You are so good and so loving to us. And you give us an example to follow in your son. We thank you for this, Father. We now pray that by your spirit, it would empower our worship of you and we'd be reflecting on the greatness of you, on the holiness of you as we worship you and we close out this time in your name. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name, amen.